happens when you put joy, superheroes, and a love of all things good and holy together? You get the Guardians of Virtue podcast, designed for saints who want to fight for the most precious of all gifts of our time, virtue. Join your host, Elisa Lindsay Johnson, that's me, as I discover everyday heroes who all have one thing in common, a desire to fight as Guardians of Virtue. For God, freedom, and our families, let's discover together what it really means to be a guardian of virtue. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 17 of the Guardians of Virtue podcast. In today's episode, I got the opportunity to talk to Amber Pierce. Amber was raised in a unique family with hippie parents who converted to the church and eight of 13 siblings who were adopted from other cultures. She graduated from BYU with a degree in home and family science and is a certified life coach. She married an amazing man who has always supported her in developing and sharing her talents. She couldn't wait to be a mother and has loved raising one girl and four boys in the mountains of New Mexico. She taught yoga for 22 years and also loved developing her talents as a consultant for Thrive Life. After unexpected success in the business world, the Lord let her know she needed to use those same gifts to testify of him. Since then, she has been sharing her gospel insights and inspiring stories online. She dreams of starting a charity and publishing the book she is currently writing about an inspiring true story. She has eaten rattlesnake, but definitely prefers chicken. And one of the greatest days of her life was when, at 15 years old, her home got electricity and she was finally able to use a hairdryer. You can find her on social media platforms at Left With A Smile. Without further ado, here's my interview with Amber Pierce, a guardian of sight. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Having me. <laughs> yeah. I'm thrilled to talk to you about this virtue. It's not one that I've highlighted on the short life of the podcast. And I don't think it's something that people would consider as a virtue um, just because it's not listed in the list of virtues that you would read. But I think that it's um, an important virtue. And if you read the definition of what a virtue is it's power virtue is power um in in the scriptures when uh one of my favorite stories is when the savior um was walking through the crowds and the woman with an issue of blood touched his robe and it says virtue came out of him and then the joseph smith translation it said or in the you know whatever it's called it says that it's power virtue so power went out of him and so for me, being a guardian of virtue is being a guardian of um, the power that comes from specific virtues. So like, I think you are a guardian of sight. And I'm so excited to talk about that. And having the power of sight, the virtue of sight is such an important thing, especially um, today when, you know, there's so much confusion that goes on in the world. And so what does it mean to you to be a guardian of sight? Well, when you first mentioned that, I was like, oh, you know, 
I'm trying to get better at like accepting, you know, compliments and, like, <laughs> you know, oh, I see this gift in you kind of thing and just embracing my gifts. And I was like, okay, sight. And it took me a while to think about it. And then it's so interesting. Just a few days later, a friend texted me and said, I've been listening to sister Tracy Brown's, um, Browning is her last name, uh, talk from conference. And I don't know if you remember, but she talks about sight being able, mm-hmm. you know, her glasses on and seeing anyway, she said, as I'm listening to it, I just keep on thinking of you. I think you have this gift. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. I'm going to go with this. So I've been thinking it about, about it a lot. And um, actually, it's probably one of my favorite gifts because to me, sight is discernment, right? It's the gift yeah. of discernment. It's to be able to see through spiritual eyes, hear through spiritual ears rather than through natural eyes and natural ears. There's so much you're missing when you uh, don't realize what's there in seeing through the spirit. But also... Um, if you put the letters I in, in front of sight, right, it's the mm-hmm. word insight. Mm-hmm. And so be through spiritual eyes, we have so many precious insights from yes. the spirit that can bless our life. So um, I also think part of the gift of sight is being able to see other people, uh, see their gifts, see who they really are, and then hopefully help them see that goodness in themselves. So there's lots of ways to different, you know, to uh, see. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So you talk a lot about your childhood. Um, would you share just a little bit about that? What it was like um, as a kid sure. growing up in a hippie household? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that you don't, you your life is just your normal, right? You don't realize it's different. I didn't realize it was different until I went off to college, really. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, my parents were both converts uh, to the church. And they always say, you know, you can take the hippie out of the commune, but you can't take the hippie out of the commune. And so that's how we were raised. Just very, you know, like all natural, very Mm -hmm. minimal, um, uh, our home has at some point had dirt floors. Let me tell you, it was really easy to sweep dirt floors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no electricity, no running water for a while. And um, so that was definitely different and shocking to people. But what I loved about my life was just there was so much freedom to uh, be creative. There wasn't a lot of distraction. and. Yeah. My, like, since they had were converts, I felt like we were all together was just this adventure, so -hmm. to speak. But, um, yeah, my parents, when I was nine years old, uh, my mom couldn't have, uh, children after five, which a lot of people would say that five is enough, (laughs) but she always wanted a big family. And so she adopted a baby boy who was... Uh, had special needs. And Mm -hmm. then after that, my parents always wanted to adopt a sibling group because so often, you know, no one, people just wanted one child or just a, we wanted to be able to keep siblings together. So they specifically wanted to, but they thought it would be like two (laughs) (laughs) and the adoption agency approached them and said that they had five sisters that needed a home. And they were um, in an orphanage in Calcutta, India. And so my parents adopted those five girls. And when they came, um, 
they said that they had a cousin who was a boy that was also in the orphanage. So my parents immediately started paperwork to adopt him. And then my mom uh, was a therapist and taught behavior disorder classes at school. And um, she adopted, my parents adopted one of her students. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So our family ended up with 13 kids and yeah, definitely a unique upbringing if you can imagine <laughs> yeah that's that's amazing that um I was my admire people who can who adopt a ton of children like that because um I imagine that comes with its own set of challenges and things that you have to help the children overcome because of what they experienced or or whatever and so yeah I imagine absolutely. life was kind of crazy <laughs> it was I mean at one point there was 10 teenagers in the house <laughs> oh so, but it yeah, sounds like most of, I could do. mostly girls. It was what it. Yeah, <laughs> that's Lots awesome. Um, do you miss? Do you miss parts of your childhood, like the simpleness of living without electricity or running? Like, are there parts that you miss? I definitely don't miss being with <laughs> electricity and running water. <laughs> I, I I do miss the you know because without electricity, there wasn't TV, you know, there wasn't, uh, my goodness, I'm constantly having to tell my kids to get off their screens. Right. And we had to be so creative in how to entertain ourselves. Cause not only did we live, um, live without electricity, but we lived out in the middle of nowhere. It's not like we could run across the street to the neighbor. Like our closest neighbor was a mile away. Mm -hmm. Um, so we just had to learn how to be creative and how to entertain ourselves. And so, yeah, I do miss that. Just yeah. being unplugged was really great. Yeah. And it's so hard to be unplugged now with this. Oh, yeah. Everything. Uh, so your parents joined the church when you were you born yet? I was not. My mom okay. was pregnant with her second child and I am number four. Okay. Uh, so what drew them to the church? Well, you know, I've heard the saying that contrast helps you see. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what truly drew, uh, drew them to the church is that they started to see the contrast of their lives and what their lives could be. Mm-hmm. And because before um, home teachers ever came to their home, they knew like my mom was like, this isn't the best environment to raise your children in. And they had seen, they had seen a, a mother completely abandon her child and choose drugs. They had seen a best friend die from a drug overdose. Yeah. Um, they were seeing these things and they were like, this is, this is not what we want. And also my mom grew up in a home, they wonderful parents, but they, they didn't believe in God. And yeah. never went to church. And so when they were introduced to the gospel, it was like a whole new world, you know, mm-hmm. and they were immediately able to see that contrast and see that this would be a good thing in their lives. And for my dad, because he had actually been baptized when he was 16 with his oh, parents, okay. mm-hmm. um, but never stayed active, you know, left home, joined the army, became an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, but he remembered, mm-hmm. he remembered something about the way he felt. So when he had the courage to walk into the 
through the church doors for the Mm -hmm. first time in years. Mm -hmm. All it took was a few steps into those doors. And he was like, whoa, yeah, I remember this feeling. And realizing that he hadn't felt the spirit in all those years, Mm -hmm. he was like, I can't go back. I can't go back to that. So that that contrast in their lives is what helped them join the church. And it, it they never turned back. It's what helps them always stay incredibly faithful yeah. in the church. Yeah, I definitely can see um, how contrast, seeing contrast helps a lot. My grandfather he was a lot like your dad in that he was born and like he was he was baptized younger and stuff and then growing the army became an alcoholic, smoked and all that stuff. And then didn't really be, become active until for him, it was not until his uh, late seven or mid seventies that he became an, er, an active member of the church and took my grandma to the temple and stuff like that. Wow. And, but I could see the, as a child, I could see the toll that smoking and alcohol had taken on him and his family. And that's something I saw that I didn't, now again, it's not the contrast of the gospel, but I saw that as a way of being like, I don't, I don't want to be sick like him. I don't want to, you know, I don't want my kids to to struggle with certain things because of what I do or whatever. And so, yeah, the law of contrast it definitely helps you see see things yeah. you don't want to do and see things you do want to do for sure. Mm-hmm. So, how would you say that your childhood gave you the eyes to see? what others may not in regards to living the gospel and understanding gospel truths. You know, I, I think from what I mentioned before, like I had to have a very curious child and there was a lot of time for deep thinking Yeah, <laughs> and there wasn't world with such input, constant mm-hmm. input right now. And it wasn't that in my upbringing. Um, I hundreds of acres and go out for walks mm-hmm. for long walks became such a deep talk to myself and I would talk and um I loved I mean there was a lot of time for reading you know you're not gonna watch tv you're gonna read Mm -hmm. and I think an important part that a lot of people were critical of my for watching so many children you can't effectively for that many kids and as did as a child or felt bitterness towards my parents and I can honestly say, no, absolutely not. I never felt like neglected or ignored or every single need was met. Yeah. And I really pondered that, like, why did I feel that way? Because it was incredibly hard for my mom and dad to parent 13 children with a lot of pretty intense needs. Yeah. And so I like, what was it? And it was because I knew that I had a parent, parents in heaven. Yeah. Honestly. And it kind of forced me to develop that relationship with my heavenly father. And I'm, I'm sure he made up for what my parents couldn't do. And I'm more blessed for it because, because I had that relationship and that definitely gave me eyes to see another thing. You know, my mom, my parents being hippies, it it was the stereotypical hippie, like, just like, Oh, just, you know, whatever. And (laughs) be creative and just not a lot of structure. Uh, But I was a child. My mom always said, like, I don't know where you came from because I craved 
rules and structure and recipes. And Mm -hmm. I also found that in the gospel and I searched for it. I searched for, okay, what do I need to do to find the the path I need to go to in life and how do I make sure I'm on the right path? I was always seeking for that. So that's what I feel like gave me eyes to see as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It makes me want to take away the TV. (laughs) (laughs) Force my children to be a little bit more introspective. Uh, when your husband asked your father for your hand, your father gave him some advice that UCA has helped uh, you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is that advice and how have you applied it in your life? Well, it was advice that he gave everyone. And the first was what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the second was don't make the issue more important than the relationship. And as a younger girl, I didn't really understand what my dad was talking. He said those two phrases all the time. Mm-hmm. But what you see is what you get. You know, in a marriage relationship, you should not, you should never go into a relationship with the expectation like, oh, they'll change. You know, yeah. I make excuses and be like, things will change. And and also constantly wanting that them to change. Mm-hmm. You have to be okay with what you see and yeah. also realize that um, you have to look within yourself for change, not to the other person. And there was just one day that I was sitting in the temple and just, you know, filling the spirit and loving all the blessings and promises. And that phrase came into my mind, like what you see is what you get. And it was so comforting in that scenario wow, like I can trust God. I can trust every single promise he has given. I can trust that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But then I also saw the opposite side of that, like the problems that can come if you look at that relationship with God and you want him to change. You want his life to change to suit how you want to live your life. And a relationship based on that it will eventually unravel. Yeah. And so I'm glad that I saw that because it gave me time to kind of check myself. Like, are there things that I'm kind of justifying or, you know, changing his laws a little bit to suit me? Yeah. And then the, the other advice, don't make the issue more important than relationship. That actually, when my husband served as bishop, he expressed to me how hard it was when he would counsel with people. This is exactly what he saw. He said, often those who are struggling with their testimony and eventually leave the church is because they do this exact thing. They make the issue more important than the relationship with God. And it's often just one small issue. Like we have all this beauty in the gospel, all these, this beautiful doctrine and principles that bless our lives. But it's like this one thorn that comes in and all of a sudden that's all that you can see. And it becomes so big that you don't see anything else. And once again, that relationship with God begins to unravel. Mm -hmm. And before you've left something that you would have never imagined leaving and you don't have that relationship anymore. Yeah. Like literally what you see is what you get. And so like, if you see a thorn, like it's, it's going to be thorns and you know, that's what you're going to keep looking for. And it does become a big thorn in your side that you can't ignore. And, 
Yeah, that's really important advice for anyone, for anything. And even in your relationship with your spouse, like, you know, if you see a spouse that uh, doesn't give you time, well, or, you know, attention or whatever, well, that's what you're going to see. But if you look and focus on the ways that they do give you attention or they do give you time, then, well, actually, you know, you see that they really do you know, or maybe you're the one that's not giving them time and you need to make sure that that's, <laughs> that's a priority yeah. or whatever. What you see is literally what you get. Yeah. It's great advice all around. Yep. Um, what are some insights you've received in your life that have changed the course of your life for better or like dramatically? No, I'm going to share one's experience in particular. Um, cause it, it, it was probably the m- most pivotal thing that happened for me at a young age. Uh I, um, and it started actually with, I was sitting in the laundromat (laughs) as a little girl and there was a newspaper next to me and it was all about the, the top colleges to go to. And before that day, I hadn't really thought about the idea of going to college. And I was probably, I'm guessing around the age of eight at this time. And I saw BYU on the list. I didn't even know BYU was a church school, but I asked my mom about, I was like, mom, do you want me to go to college? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yes, I think it would be wonderful if you went to college. I'm like, well, which college should I go to? Mm-hmm. And she talked about BYU. And in that moment I was like, Ooh, I, I'm going to go to BYU. I want to go to that school. Mm-hmm. And I excitedly went and told my dad and he explained to me all the Thing, the way you had to live if you wanted to go to BYU and the kind of grades you had to get if you wanted yeah. to go to BYU. And so just, you know, that little spark started in me <laughs> that mm-hmm. day. And, uh, you know, I got older and I got into middle school, everybody's favorite years of their life. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if there is one thing that is worse than middle school, it's being the new kid. At yeah, yeah. And I had been, um, actually I had been bullied, um, at the middle school I was going to and my, got bad enough that my mom transferred me to a different school. Mm. So just really difficult. And I, my grades started plummeting where before I was a really good student and mm. I started cheating in, on my tests and I wasn't even good at cheating because I still didn't get good grades. I don't know what was up with that. But <laughs> um, and I became friends with a girl who she was she was in active church, but I befriended her and she started coming to church and we became best friends. And in the summer between seventh and eighth grade, she started making some really bad choices and encouraging me to do the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had been learning all the things at church, right? But this is the first time where that knowledge was tested. Yeah. Like, am I going to put that knowledge to good use? And I knew, I now, surprisingly enough, I was a really shy, really shy girl. Yeah. And she was my only friend. And I had a really hard t- time making friends. And, and I was at a new school. Mm-hmm. But I knew that this wasn't a smart friendship to be in anymore. And that whole summer I prayed 
And it was probably the first and most sincere prayers I've ever prayed, like for strength to walk away from that friendship when she was my only friend and also to find new friends. Mm -hmm. And that first day of school, I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. I was walking into, oh, sorry. I, I said it was between the seventh and eighth grade years. It was between eighth and ninth grade. Anyway, I was walking into, we, there was the first day of school. There's this huge assembly. Everyone meets in the gym. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know who I was going to sit with. I wa- I know I looked terrified because when I walked in, these two seniors looked at over at me and they're like, oh my gosh, look at that terrified looking freshman and started <laughs> laughing. And I was like, oh, that's a and I walked in and I was like, well, I'll just find someone who's sitting alone and I'll sit next to them. So I see yeah. a girl sitting alone on the bleachers. I go and sit next to her and I'm like, hi, introduce myself. I'm like, are you a freshman? And oh goodness, she gave me the dirtiest look. <sighs> and was uh... like, no, I'm a senior. And then she got up and left and <laughs> I just sat there blinking back in tears. Oh, and, no. and then I see my friend and she's waving at me like, come over and sit with me, Amber. And I w- waved and smiled back, but I stayed where I was because I knew I just, I knew I couldn't be friends with her anymore. And thankfully that assembly ended and I went to my first class and then I went to my second class and I noticed in my second class there there was a girl that had been in my first class that was also in my second class. And we kind mm-hmm. of saw that. We're like, oh, hey, we're in the first two classes together. Mm-hmm. And then we went, I went to my third class and there she was again. And the day went on and we had every single class together. We had oh, an wow. schedule, which is pretty mm-hmm. rare. Yeah. And we thought it was so funny. And we're like, well, we have every class together. We may as well hang out. And then I somehow got a top locker in the main breezeway where it's all <laughs> senior lockers. Oh, and she nice. got, you know, the freshman locker out in the middle of nowhere. And so I was like, hey, come share a locker with me. Yeah. Well, long story short, she and I became best friends and we are still friends to this day. Uh-huh. And in that, I see that, you know, God helped me see that I needed to make a change. Yeah. to help help me make better decisions. It's important the people we surround ourselves with. Yeah. But also he helped me see that he had provided that miracle for me, that he was aware of me. He knew I needed a new friend. Mm-hmm. And he blessed me with that friend that had every single class with me. Yeah. And from my life, even from there, took it a major turnaround. I started getting good grades again. I maintained a 4.80 average and I was able to get into BYU mm-hmm. and and graduate from BYU and it just yeah so that experiencely experience definitely changed the course of my life and I was so grateful for that site to know that I needed to make some changes yeah it's a good reminder that Heavenly Father like cares about what a 14 year old needs you know or <laughs> Um, like he wants us to be happy and and if we sincerely seek for help to know how to do that he'll help us I love that um what do you think your life would look like right now without spiritual sight (laughs) oh my would it ever be different I don't know I don't know that I'd be a member of the church Mm -hmm. honestly there's so many things that faith requires sight yeah from 
I mean, well, you know, faith is believing in something you can't see, right? So you have mm-hmm. to have spiritual sight. Um, but, you know, I had a really interesting experience where Heavenly Father gave me the gift, and I didn't know it was a gift at the time. It was just one day where I could not see with spiritual eyes, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. I could not. All I could see was through the vision of natural man. Mm-hmm. Um, and that scripture in first Corinthians chapter two, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it happened that day. Like I just, I couldn't understand anything I was reading in the scriptures. I went to the temple, uh, that day. Imagine going to the temple, seeing things through a natural man vision. It was, it was so unsettling to me. And at the end of that day, I went to my husband. I'm like, I don't know what is going on here, but I am seeing everything so differently. And I was in tears. And then finally I realized that the Lord was just helping me see number one, how blessed I was to have this spirit with me and to be able to see things spiritually and also to see what it would be like not to have that vision. And it's honestly a very fearful, confusing, (laughs) unsettling life. Um, I could compare it to seeing things in black and white rather than seeing things in color. Mm -hmm. So I, I am incredibly grateful for the gift of sight because of that. I have the gospel and I have my testimony. I don't think I would have the testimony I do without it. Life is hard enough with spiritual sight. I could only imagine what it would be like without it. Yeah. Um, so one of a mother's greatest gifts is being able to teach her children. So how have you taught your children to be a guardian of sight too? You know, I think I'm like most mothers where you never feel like you're doing a good enough job. (laughs) You're like, I, you know, none of us had a manual on this. We try our best. But the one thing I have done is, and my kids will tell you this, I am very open and blunt and say it like it is for mm-hmm. everything. Like I don't want them to um, claim that they never understood what I was trying to communicate with them, especially when it yeah. comes to things of the gospel. So I, I've brought up all the hard topics. I think it's important for our children to learn those topics in the safety of your home yeah. and, um, opened up those conversations. And also, you know, we learn to see ourselves if people give us the opportunity to, right. You can't just always be talking at your kids. It's just going to go over their heads or, you know, they're going to zone out, Mm -hmm. but I asking heavenly father to help me know what kind of questions to ask my kids so that they can gain their own testimony so that they can see. Yeah. And I remember one time I did that and I had the prompting that I needed to read the part of my patriarchal blessing that talks about my kids to my kids. Mm. And so for one day after school, I gathered them together and I told them the, who they were based on what it had told me in my patriarchal blessing. And I said it with such passion and power. I just felt it. And I felt they needed to know that. And Mm. Then I printed it out on paper and posted it in their bathrooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on, 
COVID. I didn't want them to forget it. Yeah. And my son who, um, was struggling a little bit at the time came to me a little later and he was just like, mom, when you read those words to me, I, I knew that, that they were true. I knew it was about me. Mm-hmm. And so I was just grateful for that. I was grateful for that teaching opportunity. And I'm grateful for, you know, every time we turn to Heavenly Father and ask him like, okay, because he knows our children better than we do, right? Yeah. So ask him, you know, what, what do I need to tell my children? What do they need to know? What questions do they need to have answered? And, and he'll guide us to little things like that, that will help them. I love the idea of asking um, the questions that they need answered. I've never, I've never thought about that. But I mean, they're, they're bound to have questions and not understand everything and with the gospel. And so, um, so yeah, praying about that is really important. I could see the intelligence of that. Um, awesome. So Sherry, do recent, well, hold on. So we have just a couple minutes left before this ends. Can we switch to the next link? Sure. Awesome. I will log out here. Record. Um. So Sherry Dew recently gave a talk at BYU Hawaii where she said something that has stuck out to me. She said that prophets see around corners. Although this may be obvious as this is literally the definition of what a prophet is, someone who prophesies of things to come, sometimes it's good to receive the reminder that prophets do in fact see around corners. They are true guardians of sight. So what are some examples in your lifetime where the prophets saw around corners and were able to warn us of things to come. Well, you know, the most important prophet is our current prophet. So of course I thought of president Nelson and actually his very first talk that he gave as a prophet. Yeah. Titled let us all press on. Mm -hmm. And after I listened to that talk, I remember sitting and watching that talk and then you know, the choir starts singing, you're sitting at home. So you're like, okay, time to get up and go get a snack or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the choir starts singing the song, let us all press on. Yeah. And I have n- never heard a song sung with such power and clarity in my life. It was, you know, as if angels were singing with the choir and the message yeah. was so powerful and straight to my heart. And I knew that there was, that the prophet was trying to communicate a message to us in that song. Yeah. And then that, that feeling was confirmed when just a few weeks later, he spoke at BYU. What did he have the choir sing? Let us all press on. Mm -hmm. And then he spoke at the, you know, the youth battalion. What did he have the choir sing? Let us all press on. Mm -hmm. Since then, almost any like landmark uh, talk, uh, he's given or broadcast he's had the choir sing let us all press on Hmm. it's his anthem and there's a powerful message in it and as i listen to those words and i i listen to that song almost every single day since then Mm -hmm. um and the words they give me strength i almost feel like so you you know in the the words of the song we will not retreat though our numbers may be few when compared with the opposite host in view, but an unseen power will aid me and you in the glorious cause of truth. I can't say those words without, yeah. uh, because I know, I believe the truth yeah. of them. It rem- yeah. Our prophet reminds me of the prophet Elisha, yeah. who could see this army of angels aiding them. 
And I feel like our prophet can see that. And he doesn't want us to be discouraged. It seems daunting when you can't see the heavenly help that we have. Yeah. But we absolutely have it. And he knew that we would need to hear those words over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that chorus, fear not, though the enemy deride courage for the Lord is on our side. We will heed not what the wicked may say. And that is so important in this day because there's a lot of people speaking against us as members of the church, against the doctrine, even within the church. And, but an unseen power is aiding us and we're going to be okay. Yeah. We just got to press on. I love that. I never noticed that he did that, that, that that's in his anthem. And, but it makes perfect sense with the type of prophet he's become and um, how he lives his life. So um, why is being a guardian of sight important right now? Which you've kind of talked about that, but. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, when the prophet Isaiah was called, Um, the very thing, first thing the Lord told him to go and tell the people was that they could hear indeed, but understand not and see indeed, but and perceive not such an important message that there is more to see. There is more to hear. We just have to develop the eyes and ears to see and hear. And it is so important right there now because those Everything is so blurred. Satan wants to blind us. And it is really confusing because there are people who are so clever in how they speak and they know exactly the words to say, it seems, to shake our faith. Um, And so I I feel like that's why the prophet also has really emphasized personal revelation and being able to hear him. And believe me, there is so much. There is so much to hear. I I was um, reading in DNC 76. This is where... Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon are receiving the the vision of um, the three kingdoms of glory. And at the end, they say there was more, but they they were commanded not to write it. Mm -hmm. But what comes right after that is was really significant to me. It's they it says, neither is man capable to make them known, for they are only to be seen and understood by the power of the Holy Spirit which God bestows upon those who love him and purify themselves before him to whom he grants this privilege of seeing and knowing for themselves. I believe to withstand these last days and hold strong to our testimonies. We need to be seeking these things that can only be given through living a pure life and through the spirit. Yeah. So um, what, what, what would you suggest to people who want to have, to be a guardian of sight, like what do we do to make sure that we're pure, pure of heart and um, ready to receive the sight that the Holy Ghost can give us? Well, God has given us that perfect pattern, right? I think Satan tries to complicate it, mm-hmm. but it's the gospel, right? It's have faith, repent, be baptized, or take the sacrament every Sunday, right? Yeah, and receive yeah. the Holy Ghost. Going to that pattern is small and simple every single day. And one of the greatest displays of faith is to read our scriptures, those words, you know, and ask a question 
what has been huge for me is when I changed my scripture study to, I, I ask a question every single time I write it down. I say a prayer asking that question. And then I open my scriptures and that's what God was talking about was asking you shall receive, you know, knock and it shall be opened unto you. He wants us to ask those questions. So number one, he can show us that he is willing to answer and he is there so we can hear him every day, feel the spirit every day. And so he can show us those greater things. And if you don't know what to ask, ask Heavenly Father, what do I need? To ask? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the simple seminary answers. Just like you said, yep. The, the fourth article of faith, faith, repentance, baptism, gift of Holy Ghost, read your scriptures, pray, all the, yeah. all the simple answers. Sometimes they may feel not so simple, but it's nice that the prophets who see around corners have given us that, that, um, that guide, that plan that, to help us to ensure, really to ensure that we do have the sight so that we can return to Heavenly Father again. Absolutely. So I finished off my interviews asking the same two questions. Um, the first one is this. Uh, what is an example from the life of Jesus Christ that shows that he was a guardian of sight? What isn't an example? <laughs> he was the master yeah. at seeing people, seeing straight into their hearts. Yeah. So many beautiful ones. I mean, the woman at the well, the woman found in adultery. Yeah. Um and then also, even when he was speaking to the Pharisees who you know, followed the law with exactness and thought that they, 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 they knew God, right? And his right. response to them was, you know me not. Mm -hmm. And I loved how he could see that and how he taught us that it's not about checking all the boxes. Yeah. It's about coming to him and letting his grace and power heal and strengthen us. Yeah. And that's what he did for the woman at the well. That's what he did for the woman taken in adultery. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. If you could pick one person, past or present, who you think is a guardian of sight, who would it be and why? Honestly, I've been thinking a lot about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mm. This because, wow, what sight she would have had to have at a young age to have been told that she would be the mother of our savior. And her response blows my mind. It was such yeah. humility without question because she could see and she trusted behold yeah. the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Yeah. And I only hope to be able to respond to anything that God asks me with such humility and sight and trust. Yeah, I had never thought of her in that way, but it's true. She, I mean, to take on such a big task as raising the son of God, you have to have some good spiritual sight to be able to to do that from the start. And then as he gets older, you know, and sometimes she was reminded of that, right? We find in um, when he was 12 and they lost, they lost him, right? And uh -huh. And he reminded her that he had to, that he wanted like, don't you want me to be about my father's business? You know? Yeah. And so, um, but yeah. And as soon as he said that she took it in her heart and thought about it and realized that, that that is, and I think somebody with a, with who is a guardian of sight is willing 
to take what they are you know willing to learn and willing to to willing to see you have to be willing to see to change and to to do the will of god yeah that is the key the willingness to see you have to ask to see you have to acknowledge that you don't see everything because if yeah. you feel like you know it all and you know everything then <laughs> there there's not much more that can be shown you that's right yeah and that's definitely um where the Pharisees lacked there, you know, <laughs> they didn't see, they didn't see. And we have examples of that in the book of Mormon too, but um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me about this today and for being a guardian of sight and sharing your wisdom with people online. And it's just, I really appreciate everything that you do. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me and for what you do here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Guardians of Virtue podcast. Please don't forget to give us a follow. And if you have time, please leave a review. Peace out, dudes.